we are going to start a brand new series today called Rethinking Church. If you have a Bible, um, go to the book of Acts while you're looking that up. Thank you, worship team, you guys. Uh, great job. Give them some love, yeah. So this series, I want to encourage you to be here for all four weeks, and as we go through this message today, you'll see why I want you here for all four weeks. So turn to somebody and tell them, I'm going to be here every week, are you? I'm going to be here every week, are you? Um, this series is really birthed out of the last couple of years and conversations and murmurings that I've been uh, having, not murmurings, just conversations been having with pastors and and even our staff, and now I think it's time that um, we just kind of talk about where the church is at and where the church is really supposed to be. And in order to do that, I think we've got to go all the way back to when the church was in its purest form, like way before even Paul wrote any of the letters to the churches. I'm talking about when it was first birthed, and that's the book of Acts. So if you're brand new to church... The book of Acts, it was written by this guy named Luke. He was not one of the disciples, but he gathered the stories from uh, eyewitness accounts and, and the disciples themselves and early followers, and, and he wrote in the book of Acts, if you ever wonder what the church looks like in its purest form, go and read the book of Acts. There's a lot of things people say about the church today, a lot of things that culture says about the church today. Some of it is very valid. It's not kind, but it's, it's valid. And there are things that are being said, though, about the church that are not who we are as followers of Jesus. And so I would just encourage you, if you come across anybody like that, I would just say, hey, you know, have you ever read through the book of Acts? And just encourage them, say, I, I'm not going to answer it for you. If you want to know what Christ is like, you want to know what the church is like, go back, read the book of Acts, and you'll see it. And so that's where we're going to be through this series. If you don't have a Bible, um, download the Version app. It's a great app for the Bible. I read out of the New Living Translation. If you're on that app, you go under events and you'll see Core Church and all the scriptures uh, for today are going to be right there. So Acts chapter 2 is where we are. I want to talk to you today in this series called Rethinking Church. I want to talk to you about rethinking bells and whistles. Rethinking bells and whistles. So if you're new to the scriptures, let me kind of get you up to speed of what's happened here. Jesus has died. He's been resurrected from the dead. He's been with his disciples for about 40 days, walking with them, talking with them, even the, uh, some of the believers. And now he is getting ready. to. He's ascended to heaven. But before he ascends to heaven, he tells about 120 or so followers. That's all there were, by the way, at this point in history. He had, Jesus had huge crowds that followed him. But when he went to the cross and after the resurrection, there was about 120 or so followers that were, that were left. And he told them, he said this, he said, all right, now I want you to stay in Jerusalem. I'm leaving. They were grieved by that. But he said, I'm leaving and I'm sending the Holy Spirit. So you gather in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and you'll know it when he shows up. And boy, did they know it when he showed up. Acts chapter 2 tells us that account. It says this, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers, about 120 of them, were meeting together in one place. And suddenly, somebody's going to get a suddenly today. Amen? It's going to be your suddenly moment. It's going to be to the ones who didn't say amen. I mean, like, 
because it's the ones that least expect it. It is. It's like, oh, get ready. But I believe those of you that even said amen, the Spirit is here for you as well. Now everybody say amen. We don't want them to be alone. All right, so there was suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it, it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like, what looked like, may, may not have been, but looked like, this is the only way they could discern what was happening, it looked like a fire. It looked like these, these flames, and it settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Father, in this moment we have, this treasured moment, we want to open ourselves right now to the power of your Spirit. Church, just for a moment, just ask God quietly in your own way, speak to me today, God. I'm open, I'm willing, and I'm ready for what you have for me in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, turn to somebody and tell them, I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? Tell them, turn back and go. This guy's been fasting for like a month now. We're in trouble. Come on, turn to somebody and tell them, we're in trouble. You're not going to do that, are you? <laughs> You're like, are you serious? Um, you, you know, the great thing about coming to the first service is, you know, you have to get out of here at a certain time, but maybe not today. Maybe we just might hold them up a little bit. I'm, I'm so glad you guys are here. How many of you ha have uh, went to the fair this year or you've been to the Tulsa State Fair? Show of hands, your fair people. Okay, yeah, I mean, the fair is awesome. I, I love the fair. Something happens every year. Super excited about it every year. Not as much now, but when my kids were little, especially, I love taking them to the fair. But my kids, and they will all attest to this, they... They didn't really like going to the fair with dad because when I went to the fair, I wasn't into the midway. I was into the cows. I loved the cows. We would always park in the back and we would start at the cattle barn. And my kids, I'm not, when they were little, they'd be like, seriously, dad, how long are we going to stay here in this cattle barn? And I mean, they're, they're just inches from the smell of diesel fuel and, and carnival rides. And instead, they are immersed in methane gas and, and cows and but they always loved going out there uh, to the midway and and one of the reasons they loved it when they were little is because before I was in ministry I was in radio and they would give us free ride tickets anybody remember when they actually did tickets anybody back in the day they used to give you tickets instead of the wristband for the rides and they would give us hundreds and hundreds of tickets because they wanted my kids to ride the rides, and then they wanted us to talk about it the next day on the radio. So my kids would ride as many rides as they wanted, and parents, I'm sure you can relate to this, and they get super excited, and I was excited until I got real close to the rides, and then you realize who you're putting your children's life in the hands of. You're looking at the ride, and you're like, that's got a lot of welding on it. In fact, there's a guy welding the ride right now. Is that duct tape? I think I see duct tape on the Ferris wheel. I mean, the guy's standing there, he's got his uniform on, a Metallica t-shirt. I mean, so he looks, <laughs> looks very qualified to be handling your child. And my favorite thing at the fair is to people watch. Oh my goodness. It's like a PJ pant convention. It is just, it's scary. Oh, come on now. You all know what I'm talking about. You're like, where did these people come from? Are they really from our state? I, I look around sometimes and I'm like, you know, hey, Mr. Policeman, all of Tulsa's most wanted are right here at the Midway. You can, you can just get them all, like, like right now. 
And I'm, I just, I love going to the fair. And I, honestly, the reason I like going to the fair, I go for one thing and one thing only. And I'm sure as an adult, at least, you probably do this too. You've got to have a deep fried something. You've got to have a deep fried snicker, deep fried pickle. One year they had deep fried butter. I was like, oh, a butter, a stick of butter, deep fried. I was like, where is this place? And I looked and there was a star of Bethlehem because I knew that's where Jesus was. Oh, and have you ever, like, gotten halfway home and realized, oh, my goodness, I didn't buy deep-fried anything. It's so frustrating because you're like, I went to get my whole sole mission was deep-fried something, but you get distracted, don't you? You get distracted by the midway, the music, the lights, Bobo the Clown. I mean, you get, you get the guy on the Himalaya going, do you want to go faster? You know, it's just... So distracted, some guy selling a mop you don't need, but you're like, maybe we could use that. It's only $235 and 20 easy payments, honey. Maybe we, I mean, you get so distracted that you, you miss out on what you really went to the fair for. I think if we're not careful, we can show up weekly for our Sunday morning church gathering and miss out on the main reason that we're here. It, it's just easy to get distracted by all the the bells and whistles and and miss out on the main thing and the main thing is is jesus that's why we're here oh i really thought you were going to shout me down right there that's why i really thought i paused did it all right i rehearsed that line i really thought i was going to get the main reason we are here i'm glad you know you know pastor eric i am super glad we're doing this series because i can tell right now we we need this so if we can't say amen for Jesus, I don't know what we need to say amen for. So the main reason that we gather here is because of Jesus. Thank you. Wow. All right. We'll get there. What's crazy today in the church when I'm talking about bells and whistles is we have access to technology and advancements in the church like no other time in history. I mean, what our worship team can do is unheard of even as short as two or three decades ago. It's just crazy, especially those of you that have grown up in church. This is way different than it used to be. I mean, we, the, the lighting system that we have in the church and what we can do with lights is just crazy. The, the sound systems that we have. I mean, and I, and I was talking to a friend of mine uh, about a month ago, he's a pastor, and he said, Brad, I got this brand new LED screen. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, it's eight feet high, and it's 20 feet long. It goes across the entire back of the stage. It's incredible. you got to get yourself one. Like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, how much was it? About 12 grand. Wow. Okay. Uh, and, and, and so and I'm not even talking. I haven't even talked about kids and youth ministry, what we can do today and kids and what we can do in youth ministry. It's just unprecedented what we can do. But, it, but if we're not careful, it can become about everything but the, the main thing. And, and, and our staff wrestles with this. Let me just pull back the curtain a little bit for you. As a pastor and and our staff, we wrestle with this because we have access to things and technology and multimedia and all, all the aspects. And, and we see what other churches are doing, not just in Tulsa, but all over the world. 
Like we see the crazy things that are taking place and what's happening and all we can, and, and it's a tension that the staff even lives in. Like we got to get bigger and we got to do this better and we got we to do it larger and it's got to be more intense. And just a couple of weeks ago, just a couple of weeks ago, I saw a church and their worship team, I'd never seen this before, the worship team was on a stage floating over the congregation as they sang. That's crazy! Now, I, I want us to pause for a moment. I, I'm not trying to demonize any of those things. Stage over the crowd, a little crazy. Uh, but, because uh, I'm all for creativity, I'm all for excellence. We need to be creative, and we need to be about excellence. Those things matter. But we can't lose sight of why we're here. Why we gather. And so I think one of the things we've got to do is we just got to go back to the why. Why are we here? Why did you show up this morning? What's the, the point of being here? And it's so easy to get distracted by everything and Jesus slowly get pushed into the background. So we got to go back to the early church. Let's go back to the book of Acts. In this series, we're going to look at Acts in the early church. So Acts chapter 2, and they're going to help us in rethinking the why. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were, say this with me, they were what? Meeting together in one place. What are we doing right now? We're meeting together in one place. And then suddenly, somebody say suddenly. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the sound of a roaring mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. So get the picture here. Jesus has promised his Holy Spirit. He's told them to, to wait on the Holy Spirit, and they're waiting. Now, before we move forward on this, just think about that for a moment. They, they gather together in one place, and they, they sing some songs, and Peter preaches a little sermon. They take communion together. They pray. Nothing. They go home. They come back the next day. They sing some songs. John's preaching this week. But the Spirit's going to come because Peter, you know, John, way better than Peter. So John's got, he's got the Spirit. I've been with John. He's awesome. They pray. Nothing. So they go home. They get up the next day. They come back. Sing some songs. Anticipating. Jesus said he was going to come and something was going to happen and preach a little sermon, take communion, they pray. Nothing. They go home. Some of y'all are wondering, is he going to do this 50 times? <laughs> they show up, pray, sing, uh, nothing. Go home. Come back, and then 
suddenly, suddenly the spirit of the living God fills the place and fills them like nothing they've ever experienced, like heaven falls on them. I'd like for you to write this down because if you wonder the why, why do we gather? Why are we here? Let me give you one right here. We gather as the people of God to experience the presence of God. We gather as the people of God to experience the presence of God. And you never know when your suddenly moment is going to happen. You never know the Sunday that you show up that God is going to fall, that heaven is going to fall on you. You come, sing some songs, hear some preaching, take communion, pray. Nothing. You go home. Next Sunday rolls around, wrestle, get up, I'm going, you show up, start singing some songs, get a little bounce in your step, ready for it, whoo, Daniel's preaching, not Brad, I'm sure the Spirit's going to come today. Communion, prayer, nothing, you go home. Next Sunday rolls around, you're like, nothing really happened last week. I'll go back. Come back, sing some songs, preaching, communion, prayer, and then suddenly God shows up for you. Have you ever had a suddenly moment? Like Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, like nothing. This is why so many people give up on church because they, they went, nothing happened, and they went back home and there was nothing. Can you imagine the guy who slept in that day? Don't you feel sorry for him? Like, man, he goes 49 times, but he decided, I'm a little exhausted. I've tried it 49 times. There hasn't been nothing. I'm going to skip this week. Can you imagine what that must have been like for that guy? Don't miss your suddenly moment. Turn to somebody and say, don't miss suddenly. Don't miss suddenly. Here is what can, some of you have already experienced your suddenly moment today. You already know what it is. You never know when suddenly is going to happen. You're just singing a song. You're barely singing a song. And a word from a song penetrates your soul. And you're like, what is that? I've seen that song a hundred times. What, I, this is the first time. I don't even know this song. What is that? I needed that. That is the Spirit of God falling on you and coming into you in that moment and penetrating your soul. You can be listening to a message and you're like, I ain't got nothing. I ain't writing anything down. I ain't talking to nobody next to me. I'm just here. I get up. And then suddenly a word is given and you're like, whoa, 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 hey, 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 hang on. How did Brad know what I was going through? I don't know what you're going through. The Spirit of the living God does. 
And in a moment, he can give you a word that will penetrate the darkness. In a moment, when you come to the table and you take that bread and you dip it into the cup and you've done it week after week after week after week after week after week after week, and then suddenly you look at that little piece of bread with the juice on it and you see the blood of Christ and you realize mercy and grace for me. And suddenly, everything changes. You walk in with depression, and depression falls suddenly. You came in lonely, and suddenly you found a family. You walked in with shame and brokenness and hurt and division, and suddenly healing came upon your soul. Do not miss your suddenly moment, because you never know when it's going to happen. Great thing about the early church, or the bad thing, I don't know, however you want to look at it, is that guy who missed that day, he couldn't catch Peter's podcast. He couldn't go, hey, so uh, I, missed, I missed it? What? What happened? Can, can I get it on the podcast? Is it... I, I, there's a, a preacher in the early 1900s, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a very popular preacher in his day, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And, and recording came into um, his time of preaching, and they started recording sermons. And he said, no, no, you're not going to record my sermon. I, I won't let you record my sermon. They're like, we've got to record your sermons. You're an amazing communicator. He's like, no. And he refused. He would not allow them to record his sermons. He did later, but in the beginning stages, he was very reluctant to it because he said, no, it's not about that. He said, about the gathering of the people. He goes, even when, you, when the word is spoken, Spoken. It's not the same on the recording that it is in the place. And so he said, no, you can't, you can't record my sermons. I, I won't let you do it. And, and I, mean, I just, when I think about where we're at and I think of the early church, they understood that something powerful happens when we gather together. Something powerful happens when the people of God come together. Can you go home and listen to worship on your own? Of course you can. But you come in here, it's different. It's different when the people of God come together. Can you take communion on your home, in your home by yourself? Of course you could. But it's different when you come and you do it with the body of Christ. When you hear the word of God spoken in this place. You know why? Paul tells us why. Paul tells us in one of his letters, he, he says this, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you're new to Scripture, if you're new to the church, before the Spirit of God fell... The Spirit of God was in the temple. So the Spirit of God manifested himself on earth in the temple. But when the Holy Spirit came on that day, suddenly something was different. The Holy Spirit wasn't just around them. The Holy Spirit was in them. If you're a follower of God, you have the Spirit of the living God in you. You ought to be walking around cock-a-doodle-doo. I have the spirit of the living God in me. Why are your shoulders sagging? Why are you distraught? Why are you discouraged? You have the spirit of the living God everywhere that you go. And here's the thing that you may or may not realize. We bring the spirit of God into this place. You and I, as followers of Jesus, we carry the Spirit of God. When you're not here, you are missed. 
Because you're sitting by somebody. You have the presence of God in you and around you. It's going to get on somebody. And when you're not here, it can't get on somebody. This is why I make you all scoot together and sit together. and drives you all crazy. One day I'll be gone and somebody else can let you all spread out. But as long as I'm here, we're going to crunch together because somebody needs you. Come on, turn to somebody and say, I need you. I need you. We need each other. We need the spirit of God. What's crazy about when they worshiped, the early church that is, when they when they worshiped, they worshiped at the temple. So they were going to the temple in the early church. They, they were in this place, but every day they would go to the temple. Every day they would go to the temple. Every, every day. These people went to church, the early church. They went to church every day. Not once a week, not once a month, not every other week. No, no. They, they went every day. And, and this is on another level, three times a day. Three times a day. Now, if you're familiar with Scripture and you're familiar with Jewish customs, you, you know why they did that, because that was the Jewish custom. They would go to the temple to pray three times a day. But the early church, there was something different with the early church. When, when they gathered together, there was like this idea and this feeling of this passion and this devotion that they had for being together in the presence of God. A lot has changed in 2,000 years, a lot. Earlier this year, I was in Los Angeles at a pastor's gathering, and, and we are a part of the International Church of the Nazarene, and they took us to some of the early archives, and the Nazarene began in early 1900s by a guy named Phineas F. Brzee and, and in Los Angeles. And when we went to the back, back into this room where they had all these archives, they had this old sign. First Church of the Nazarene, look at the pastor's name, Reverend H.H. Hooker. Man, that's an interesting crowd you're going to gather for that Sunday. So they had Sabbath services, that's what they called their Sunday services, Sabbath services. Now, you probably can't see this, but here's here's how often in the early 1900s they gathered. 8.30 a.m., morning prayer meeting, 9.30, Sabbath school, 11 a.m., preaching, 3 p.m., the people's meeting, 6 p.m., the glory room service. Man, I don't know what that is, but I want that. 6 p.m., the young people. 7.30, preaching and evangelistic. Man, they're, they're preaching a lot. Oh, oh, by the way, then they had stuff during the week. Tuesday, they had the holiness meeting. Wednesday, they had the, the great church prayer meeting. And then Thursday, they gathered for evangelism. I mean, these, they were getting together. Oh, that's crazy. They were passionate. They were devoted to one another. Fast forward. To when I was a little kid, some of you may have grown up in church, I grew up in church, and, and then what it looked like when I was a, a child, you went to church, you went to church before church, anybody remember that, it's called Sunday school, so you went to church before church, then you went to church, then after church you'd go home, you'd come back on Sunday night for more church, then you'd show up on Wednesday night for the prayer meeting, and then there was an occasional um, evangelism door-to-door thing they would do on these random Thursdays. Fast forward to now I'm an adult, and about 20 years ago, about 20 years ago, the church said, that's too much. We're wearing everybody out. We're wearing all the pastors out. We're wearing the staff out. Let's just do it on Sunday. Let's just do Sunday morning. So we began to gather on just Sunday morning. You fast forward to where we are today, and we're like, 
that's too much. How about we just come when you can? Maybe, maybe every other week or, or maybe just, just occasionally, whenever, whenever, whenever you can make it. But that, the early church, when you look at the early church, what's crazy is they had no band, they had no lights, they had no great coffee, no sound system, no killer kids or youth ministry, yet they were showing up every single day. This should give us pause. This should raise an, an alarm. What's crazy, though, is that if you really seem to be that concerned by it, and I think one of the reasons is because we look at weekly Sunday gatherings as the high bar. It's just, it's unattainable. I mean, I, I, I come when I can. I mean, I, I can't always make it. I mean, uh, my, my life is crazy. My kids and their activities and everything that they're involved in Monday through Friday, let alone three games on Saturday and what they got going on on Sunday, and it's on and on and on. And then I've got errands I've got to run, and I've got the to-do list. And then if I do have time off, my goodness, I'm just tired. I'm tired. I just need to, to sleep. I think we, we made the, the weekly Sunday gathering, the high bar, but I, I would tell you this, that if you looked at Scripture, what you would see that God does is God looks at the weekly gathering as actually the low bar. In other words, God says, it's a great place to start. Like, God says, I'm not, I'm not asking for much. Look, there's 168 hours in your week. I'm asking for one. You can have the other 167. But just just start there. Just 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 give me just just give me just just one. Now, when I say that, I know some of you may be saying, or some people might say, "Man, aren't you being kind of legalistic there, Brad?" I mean, just because I'm not here doesn't mean I don't love Jesus. And I would agree with that 100%. Just because you're not here doesn't mean you don't love Jesus. In fact, sometimes you can't make it because of work commitments, or you're out of town, or you're sick or in the hospital, whatever, you can't, you can't be here. But let me put it to you like this. I love Broken Arrow football. I love it. I love Broken Arrow football. But I don't go to every home game. Because, I mean, I can't. I mean, I, I, I mean I, my, life, my life is crazy. I mean, I've got errands to run. I've got things to do. And if it's not that, then I'm honestly, I'm just tired. And, and, and sometimes the weather doesn't cooperate, or the record's not very good, or the record is good, or it's not, and I just, I just can't always make it. I also love my wife. And I can tell you this, I go home every day. Every day I go home. Why? Because she is passionate and devoted to me. Because I am passionate and devoted to her. And plus, she's stinking hot. Why would I not go home to that every day, okay? I mean, I just don't say amen to that. That's weird, okay? <laughs> what you're passionate about, what are you devoted to? I want you to write this down. What I prize becomes my priority. What I prize becomes my priority. The world wants you to be their priority. And the world will take and they'll grab and they'll pull and they'll take whatever they can. I remember being at a Christmas party when I was in radio and they gave out the employee of the year for the radio station. And they announced who it was and the 
my boss was standing up there at this restaurant, and he was talking about this guy. And he said, man, he's, he's here early. He stays late. He did, he does, I mean, he's, he's, he could go home. He's cut his vacation short to be here. And, and, and whatever we need, man, he will, he will give it. I mean, I've seen him not do this and not do that. And, and as I'm listening to my boss talk, I look over at him, and I look at his wife, and she is just sinking. And her shoulders are just dropped. And I thought, man, I ain't ever going to be that. You ain't ever going to give me that kind of employee of the year. The world will take whatever it can take. It wants you to be the prize. Excuse me, they want to be the prize. They want to be your priority. But but Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4.8 what our prize should be. And now the prize awaits me. He says this, what? Say it with me. The crown of righteousness. Come on, what? The crown of righteousness. The greatest prize we can pursue is righteousness, making Christ our priority. Passion for his house begins with my house. Passion for his house begins with my house. A few weeks ago, I talked to some of you that were our parents, and I, I, I and I think it bears repeating again here. Some of you have little ones and you have babies. And I just want to caution you. The world will take and grab and pull at your kids and take and, and do. They want, they want your kids. They want your kids' time. And they want your kids to be the priority. And you're going to have to fight for your priorities. And man, is Jesus my prize in my home? I mean, parents, do you pray with your children? Do your children hear you pray? Because if they don't, what you're telling them is prayer is optional. You do it when you really have to, but you don't really need it. Do you read the word to your children? Do you read the word to them? You're like, Brad, they're three. I know. I used to go out and find the most childlike stories I could, and Jeremiah, who's sitting right here on the front row, can tell you every night I would read these Bible stories to them every night before they went to bed. Because guess what? If you don't read the word and your kids don't hear you reading the word, what you're telling them is, this is optional. You don't really, it doesn't really need to be your prize. Do you talk about Jesus in your home? You need to start talking about Jesus to your children when they're really, really young and continue to talk about them. I want to ask you this, parents, if you brought up the name of Jesus in your home, would it be uncomfortable? Because then what you're, if you're, if it is never brought up, if you never bring up the name of Jesus, what you're saying to your children is, I mean, you know, if you need him, he's not really the prize. Do, do you make the house of God a priority for your family? I want to tell you, if you've got young ones, man, make the house of God a priority. Be here every single time that you can be here. Are there times you can't make it? Of course there are. But the times that you go, no, I'm saying no to everything the world has to offer me, and I'm saying yes to everything Jesus has to offer me, because when you don't and you say, ah, you know what what you're saying to your children, they will grow older, they will become adults, and they will say, Sunday worship's optional. I don't really need it. What signal, what what message are are we sending to our children? Verse 3 says this, what, what looked like flames of tongues of fire, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and we're going to finish with this. We, we gather in his presence to experience his power. 
So we're here in his presence, and we're here because we can experience his power. It says, what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, this is one of the most debated scriptures, and what did they mean by this, and, and what was it, and, and, and oh, it could have been this, could have been this. Like, Jesus clears it all up, by the way. He tells us exactly what it was in Acts 1.8. He says, in Acts 1.8, Jesus said this, you will receive power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and what? Say this with me, what? You will be my witnesses. See, as we gather in this place, his power comes upon us and it works through us and we receive his power to take out into the world as witnesses of the power. Is your life a witness of the power? Do do people see the power of God manifested in your life? When you're going through hell, does your life still look like heaven? The power of God in your life can turn hell into heaven. can take the most heartbreaking of times, lift you out, pull you up, and set you upon a firm foundation where the world says, whatever that is, I need that. Man, are you a witness of the glory of God? Are you a witness of his grace and his mercy? I mean, is your life lived in such a way that those who knew you before say, Who are you now? What is going on? That is a witness of the power. Loneliness and depression and heartache falling off. Walking through the difficult days, but having your shoulders high, thinking positive, believing for the good. That, that my friends, is the witness of the power of the Holy Spirit.